and welcome to the Hand in Hand show where caregivers and survivors have honest discussions about stroke. We are a part of Stroke Focused Podcasts. This is Cam, your host. Today we're interviewing Melissa Bernhard, who is a caregiver, and she's also one of the leaders of Unlimited Possibilities, the largest stroke, TBI, and aneurysm support group in Georgia. Um, Melissa has been taking care of her husband, Ron, for about seven and a half years since his stroke, and today we're going to talk about her experiences, her perspective as a caregiver, and especially this, which is something that not many people talk about. They travel. And she's going to give us some travel tips or some things that she thinks that we should be keeping in mind as we travel. So welcome, Melissa. Thank you. The first thing I I want to start with is just a little bit of history, you and Ron and his stroke. Well, it was a beautiful early summer day here in Georgia when I got a phone call. Ron had gone up to the lake and uh, there was a voice at the other end that was very garbled and I knew it was his phone number, but it was garbled enough that I was saying, who are you and why do you have my husband's phone? And he was able to get out the words, I think I'm having a stroke. And uh, that was the beginning, uh, was able to initiate 911 to get him from the lake. I was in another location. And when I met him at the hospital, he was seemed to be doing pretty well. But as we sat in the emergency room, it was, I think I actually saw when he had the stroke and he was unable to have TPA. So he had a left middle cerebral artery ischemic stroke and it left him in the hospital for three days for in pretty much intensive neuro ICU and then a step down unit. And then he was in for inpatient rehab for just about a month. At that time, he because it was left side of the brain, his right side was affected. And he went through the intensive rehab while he was at Kennestone Hospital and was able to make progress. In this whole process, what happened when you came home? Yeah, before we even got home, I was surprised. Information was coming in so quickly and so detailed, and there was a chronology there that I, I, needed, I found I needed to take notes. So I would encourage anybody to either use your phone and dictate the notes or have a little notepad Uh, just so that you can jot down any questions that you have for the staff or the physicians, and also to keep track of what is sort of your partner, your loved one's progress. Um, You know, when did they, because every stroke and every brain injury is so different, the progress is going to be measured very differently. So that's probably the first thing. The second thing while they're still in the hospital is, because you're going to be overwhelmed, to use a distribution list, like an email distribution list or a text distribution list to get basic information out to all the people who want to know because everybody's going to want to know what's going on and how they're doing. 
but just be aware that people are going to not be familiar with brain injuries and they're going to ask, well, when is he going to be better? As though it's a surgery and that there's a defined improvement trajectory. And for many people that know you, just like yourself, it may be the first experience that they have with any kind of a brain injury. And so to kind of steal yourself for that and explain, we don't know, you know, we're, we're hopeful and it looks good or whatever, the don't give up hope, you know, keep praying. Absolutely. People understand brain injury more. It was a traumatic brain injury as far as a car accident or, you know, football injury or something like that. They don't understand the other types of brain injury that we acquire during stroke. I know this also because I do have a brain injury. Most people wouldn't recognize that because I have learned over the years to compensate for part of it. There are parts that I can't. So, you know, there are sometimes good days and bad days, which I'm sure you all um, have also. But and, And it may not all be brain injury related. Some may be the physical part of it, you know, because if it's raining here, I can definitely tell that my body doesn't react the same as on a sunny, warm day. And, oh, you know, the winter, forget it. I get up every day and it's like a struggle. I guess, but we all learn the different things about it. But uh, the brain injury part is what people don't understand. And they just understand that I might not be able to think of a word and I'm sitting there struggling. And they say something like, oh, I do that all the time. Well, yeah, but you don't get it. Yes, it's an all the time thing, but it's not just this. So I could walk into the kitchen. I can, I've found I can even be doing something and forget that I'm doing it while I'm doing it. And I know that sounds weird. Only those brain injury would understand that. Someone else or someone who deals with someone who has brain injury. Other people wouldn't understand that. Um, You know, and, and I've gotten some great tips from people too, which is kind of what you just said about um, the group texts or the group emails. Um, I also had someone bring up that they carried a notebook with them And not only was it for, you know, the doctor's visits and writing things down and stuff like that, but if somebody said, hey, I want to help you, they wrote down the name, the phone number, and they asked, what would you like to do? And they put it in that section of the book, you know, that that said, I'll get you to the hospital or the doctor's office or I'll take you to church or whatever or I'll cook dinner. And they put it in this folder of some sort that she had. And then they'd call. They'd say, you know, do you think, you know, for the next month, maybe on Tuesdays, you could make dinner? Or, you know, can you take me to doctor's office appointments uh, next month on whatever the dates? And she said she found that very helpful also to be able to do that. How did you learn to cope with some of this as Ron came home and you all were learning other than having, you know, you're being able to do the emails and different things because you were still working. I was. Fortunately, my job was very, very understanding and flexible. Um, Even though I needed to, I was in sales and I needed to be out in the field. 
the most difficult part was the first 30 days because the neurologist said he cannot be alone. He has to have somebody with him. So it was, you know, by God's end, I was able to find somebody who was a caregiver who could come in and be with him during that time. And and I was able to kind of flex my schedule enough to, to get home, leave home a little early or a little later and get home a little earlier. But that was because of that not being able to be alone was also where your friends tip with the notebook and the uh, phone numbers. People who would offer to drive him to rehab, to outpatient rehab, I would take them up on that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it might be involved teaching them how to load up the wheelchair and how to get him in and out of the car. There might be some, you know, some of those issues, but it was such a, such a pleasure and uh, to have somebody help just with that part, because we recognized how very important the rehab was. Uh, He came home in the wheelchair he was able to stand enough to transfer to bed. Um, but one of the things I learned was even though I had planned, measured everything, floor space, uh, once I got him home, there were still some obstacles with the, um, with the floor, with the shower, with things like that. So while you're still in the hospital, Make sure that the therapists really spend time with you <clears throat> to train for your environment, whatever it's going to be, if it's going to be a shower tub or, or whatever, because once you come home, you're it. You know, you're, you're kind of alone with the situation. We were able to problem solve on the fly. Absolutely. And I know... Not everyone does this or not every therapist or rehab hospital or or anything does this, but some of the therapists will actually come into your home and kind of evaluate it and tell you what you might need before someone for your spouse or loved one comes home. And in doing that, it gives you at least a little bit of time. There may still be obstacles, but, you know, they can tell you, um, take up that rug or put down a rug or this shower isn't going to work for him. Do you think you could do something else? You know, so there's different things and I don't know exactly what else they do, but you know, they, they would go through and at least let you know those things. But again, not everybody does that. um, So I don't know how it works. Um, You're part of a support group before you started in on unlimited possibilities. Yes, the support group was already in. We were very fortunate. There had been a stroke support group, um, and I should say brain injury support group, um, that was already up and running, but it wasn't a large membership, but it was going. And fortunately, both the outpatient and the inpatient staff told us about it. That was huge that we were able to go to that And he was able to see that there were other people who had similar experiences and they were at different places uh, post-brain injury. They still had fun. They still could laugh. They still could get together. They still enjoyed social interaction. 
And then our group also has a very informal Friday morning breakfast at a little place. And that's a great source. It's every Friday morning and it's a great source of camaraderie. So it just was huge for him to have a, a social outlet. And for me too, to be able to meet some of the other partners, caregivers, and get some ideas from them. It was very reassuring, very uplifting. I do encourage people with brain injuries also to come. People don't realize how important they are in letting the family or the caregiver or the survivor or, you know, even a friend, a neighbor, anybody who wants to kind of understand more about the changes that happen to us or the reason why we might act a certain way, um, you know, it's, it's good for them to get that. And when you go, you see that. You see that you're not alone. And that, I think, is one of the biggest helps. But getting people there sometimes is always difficult. Right, right. Do you love to travel? Well, Melissa and Ron do, and they travel a lot. So Melissa is going to share with us her experiences and tips for traveling with a stroke survivor. You all travel quite regularly. We try to. Yeah, the first trip was only eight months after his stroke. And I wanted to talk about this because I wanted people to have hope because he came home in a wheelchair. And no, he didn't have function back of his right hand, but he had learned to walk again with a cane, and we were able to go to his niece's wedding in Florida. But in that, in so doing that, we kind of learned some important things, and that is the roll-in showers, terrific, but for some reason, hotel floors are just made of the most slippery surface you can imagine. So. We went immediately went out and bought some bath mats to prevent falls, and we take them now everywhere that we go, no matter where we go. It's better safe than sorry. The other thing that we learned is that most hotels do have a transfer board uh, for using a, a tub shower if that's the better thing for your your loved one, your your survivor. They never put enough grab bars. And those sh- anything in a hotel, it's rare for them to have grab bars in enough places. So just for balance, it's good to have the suction cup uh, grippers that can go on the wall. Just it, you won't be able to pull weight on it, but for balance, it's just very very helpful. So those were immediate things that we learned. That's interesting. I would not have thought about bringing some of that stuff with me. I've started kind of traveling again myself. Um, I haven't had to stay in a hotel yet uh, because mostly we stayed with family. But that is interesting because I, you know, I know about those section grab bar section grip holders. <laughs> I'm glad you're like me. You know that thingy that you put on the wall that's plastic and it grabs. Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, and I wouldn't have thought about bringing that with me or the bath mat. So I think that's a great tip. I just don't know. I know a lot of people, I do a lot of Facebook support groups that, uh, you know, I see these things about traveling. And I think, uh, I think even the National Stroke Association, it was put out a list of things to look for, you know, when you're planning a trip. And, and they actually say, plan the trip. Do not, you know, just 
say, oh, I'm going to whatever this weekend and go. They say plan it. And, and that would be my uh, big thing for people to do is to say plan it. Think about all the different things you might need. Now, those are things I wouldn't have thought about, but you know, when you call, make sure you tell them you want a handicapped accessible room, which is big. And some people don't know um, even to ask for that initially, you know, and, and find out if there's a separate exit for that room that just goes straight outside or if, you know, you have to have the elevator or, you know, how you get to the room. I mean, I, I know that people at the hotel's may get these questions and sometimes you may feel like you're bothering them but you need to know these things when you're traveling airplanes have you had to fly yes we have flown a uh, couple of things learned there is just make use of the uh, the wheelchair services the folks in the airport that do that do that wheelchair wheelchair transport are very skilled in doing that um, and very, very helpful, and they want to help you. They, they really want to um, make sure that you get to, to your destination and in the terminal just fine. Uh, sometimes there'll be a cart that, uh, that can be used if your person can get into the cart safely. That's a good option, too, but I have found the air travel to be, um, you know, using the wheelchairs, is very important. The other thing we learned is that with the airline seats being so close together now, uh, front to back, is that we really have to be behind a bulkhead and specifically with Ron in a aisle seat so that he can push up uh, to get up from his chair. The best thing about air travel is being able to get there in time, but you brought up planning the other side of air travel is just being aware that things can go wrong with flights. So if your partner can be flexible, for instance, we had to get on a much smaller plane at one point to fly into, into a smaller airport. And I had to call ahead and ask, is this going to be stairs or is this going to be a ramp going in? And it did turn out to be a ramp. But it's little things like that. If stairs are a problem, ask about it. The people in the travel industry will help you in the, to, to know as much as they possibly can before you go. So planning is always a good idea. So I think you might have been on a cruise. Cruise is the best. Again, wheelchair, it's amazing how long those ramps can get going through customs to get checked in and uh, getting on board the ship. So if there is a wheelchair service, go ahead and use it. Don't be shy because it can be a really long walk. Yeah. Um, when you say wheelchair service, because I'm not familiar with the term, does that mean somebody who helps you push, or is that um, they have their own wheelchairs and, and will get you where you need to go, or what is that? What we found is in the cruise terminals, they'll typically have someone with porters, like the transport people. However, what I did learn the last cruise we took is that there are companies that will provide you with a, a power scooter 
or a, a manual a wheelchair, a push wheelchair, uh, and you can rent it for the time, and they'll have it waiting for you in the cabin when you get there. The only thing about a power scooter, which is great to be able to get around the ship, is that it has, your cabin has to have enough room inside for you to bring the scooter in to charge uh, because you can't leave it out in the passageway. You've got to have it in your cabin. You said something about to check the ship size. For instance, we really like a small ship better. In terms of the number of passengers, uh, as well as the overall length of the ship. Uh, the last cruise we went on, the ship was about a 1,000 feet. And for that particular cruise, we did not get a handicapped room up by the elevator banks. We went to an aft cabin. So we were pretty far away from the elevator banks, but there are grab bars all the way along the both sides of the passageway. It still was a very, very long trip for Ron to have to walk from our cabin down to, you know, where the, din the dining room was that we were going to eat in. So it's just planning and recognizing there may be certain destinations on ship that you don't want to have to walk that far. To me, and, and I think you've said in your notes that traveling is kind of a reprieve. It's a yeah. it's wonderful thing to do. It's it's more relaxing, but again, plan. So things like even I knew that when we were in Texas that I would need a day to recuperate once we got there, and when we got home that I'd need at least a day to recuperate once we got home. And the days in between, I had to limit my activity so that I didn't get the brain fog or the, you know, get overwhelmed with things. So I think, too, you have to think about these things for yourself or for the survivor or as a caregiver. And um, that can be a tough call sometimes, too, unless you really know how it's going to be. So the first time that you all went somewhere, I think you said to a wedding in Florida, did you find out some of this also at that time? Pretty much all of the trips that we have done, I try to plan some way that there's downtime for Ron, um, because you bring up an incredibly important point, and that is that there fatigue. There's a lot of fatigue when you come home from the hospital, but that still continues. You know that there'll just be you need some downtime, and we've learned to kind of. Uh, plan around that. If we're doing a big road trip, I'll try to plan it so that we've got a day where it's more in the car and he can sleep and relax some. Um, if it's on the cruise, you know, we I don't plan a shore excursion for each stop. Uh, I plan the shore excursions very carefully to make sure that the mobility requirements of the excursion are going to be something that he can do. You know, I'll do as much pre-planning as possible to ensure that it is a successful trip and a safe trip and that he also gets some rest time. Do you sometimes, if, if you know that this is not something that he can do, but that you really want to do it, will you all allow yourself 
to go and do whatever it is that day while he's resting? To a limited degree. Um, okay. You know, you feel a little guilty about, um, you know, not being able to go together. But by the same token, and I always try to remind him and others that even with or without the brain injury, life is going to go on. You, you know, regardless, you're not always going to do everything together. Or there'll be times that I need to go do something by myself. Uh, but for, but when it's necessary, and that happens actually, uh, you know, it happened of a couple of days on the cruise where he was just, he was tired. I knew he was tired. And, and those days, guilt-free, I went off and kind of did my own thing on the ship. So well, kind of really, in some ways, taking care of yourself, which is something mm-hmm. I advocate for caregivers, because especially in the beginning, they don't understand that taking care of themselves is leaving your loved one for a little while and, and taking some time for yourself whether it's just going to the library or running to McDonald's and getting, you know, a burger and just sitting by yourself or something more elaborate, taking a, a, a class or, or whatever. But on a trip, even, it's still, I, I consider that taking care of yourself. You should not feel guilty about taking that couple of hours and going and doing something. Well, I know for his own safety, he has to take that rest time. If he doesn't get his rest time, then his mobility suffers. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope we can talk to you again um, because I think you have so much more to tell us. This is Cam, and I want to thank Melissa for being here and for our listeners for listening to the Hand in Hand show. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Hand in Hand Show. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to keep the discussion going, please join Stroke Focus, the social media website dedicated to stroke survivors and caregivers. Stroke Focus is S-T-R-O-K-E-F-O-C-U-S. Stroke Focus is a part of Wohala, which in Mandarin means I have survived. If you wish to be a part of the show or would like to be interviewed as part of the show, please contact us at contact at strokefocus.net.